Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alright, NFL fans, welcome back to another episode of the NFL Whip Around. I am Jeff Hartman, joined by Coach KT Smith as we recap Week 11 in NFL action. But there's more pressing questions. Coach, are you ready for the holiday this week? Thanksgiving is coming up. Uh, I love Thanksgiving. I, I, I'm finding more and more that, that people dismiss Thanksgiving unfairly. I think it is an underrated, an underrated holiday. Man, I think it is uh, far more valuable than people give it credit for. Well, explain yourself, because I'm a guy that says that uh, Christmas season starts on November 1st. You have two days where it's not Christmas. That's Thanksgiving and the day after, and then you're back to Christmas season. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, food, football, and family, those things yeah. are, are very valuable to me. And you, you put those together. Thanksgiving as for, for, for 30 years has been special to me because we always play a, a football game on Thanksgiving morning or our high school team. And this will be the first time in 30 years. We're not playing that. That tradition has ended. Really? So, uh, yeah. So my day usually starts with a football game at 10 AM and then a big family gathering, usually at our house. And then, you know, by 8, 8 PM, I'm comatose on the couch, you know, <laughs> <laughs> trip to fan throwing to fully oh, your body. Totally, totally. So why are you guys not playing on third on Thanksgiving anymore? Uh, it's a complicated thing. I mean, the state of New Jersey moved the start of the season all the way up. Our first game was August 25th this year. I mean, we yeah. played two football games before we had a single day of school. And so you had the Thank option you, to move your Thanksgiving day up to earlier in the season. And most teams chose to do so because, quite frankly, the season's just too long. We lost our playoff game on October 29th. And to have the kids sit around for three and a half weeks to play a kind of meaningless game was just too much to ask them. Yeah. Freaking New Jersey. What, yeah. what are they doing, man? I don't know. They, All right. they struggle. They struggle to do things right in this state. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta be honest. That is for sure. Uh, <laughs> All right. Let's talk about the NFL and the week that was, it was a crazy weekend for me and for Steeler fans and not just Steeler fans, but across the league who won the weekend for you. Was there a player or team that really impressed you or, or made a big statement? Yeah, you, there, there were a lot of those, those uh, individuals who stood out, but man, the team, that for me really made a statement was the Detroit Lions. Not not simply because they won, but because they didn't play a very good football game against against a uh, a team that's not very good. You know, they, they didn't play their best against the Chicago Bears. They're down by 12 points with four minutes left, and they find a way to win that game. I mean, they that was that to me 
shows that they're a more mature team than people may be giving them credit for. To win a game where where you don't play well, but you can sort of figure it out in the end. They get they get a touchdown with about three minutes left. They get a quick three and out. They go right down the field and score again. And then Aiden Hutchinson ends the game with a phenomenal one-man effort where he he strip sacks the quarterback and Chicago's left tackle <laughs> boots the ball out of the back of the end zone for a safety. I mean, it just uh it just it just was a that, that was a that was a mature win. That that's the that's the kind of win that that a team that's building a winning culture uh knows how to to uh accomplish. And so I was impressed, man, just handling the adversity and and rising up when it counted most. Yeah, they didn't play well. Jared Goff didn't play well. And they still find a way to win. So I'll, I'll give you credit for that one. I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to say the Buffalo Bills. And the reason why I'm taking the Bills is that they beat the Jets 32-6. to six. It has nothing to do with the final score. It even has nothing to do with the opponent other than the fact that this is a game that the Bills had to win. And so now they're at 6-5. and five, And you're like, okay, they're alive and well. The Bengals obviously are, are not looking like front runners anymore with Joe Burrow being done for the year. Cleveland has their issues. But just listen to what the Bills have coming up. If they have a chance, they had to win this game against the Jets because next week they play the Eagles, then they play the Chiefs, then they play the Cowboys, then they play the Chargers and finish up with Patriots and Dolphins. That That is a stretch, right? So if the Bills are thinking, if their fan base is like, okay, here we go, like we can make the playoffs, we can be a viable, maybe if it's a seven seed, they had to win that game. And so for me... I was impressed that coming off of their loss and they've been up and down a lot this season, they take care of business. They score 32 against a really good defense. The jets can't do anything offensively, but the bills stay alive for at least another week. And so for me, and after they fire their coordinator, Ken Dorsey's gone, you know, they, they go out and they do the, they do the thing. They, they get the job done. So I'll go with Buffalo for their statement. win, even though it was against a very subpar New York jets team, so any thoughts on that coach? I think, <laughs> I think the, the clip that summarized the jets for me, cause I, I, I think we're going to get, I know where you're getting <laughs> You know what I'm going to say? <laughs> Zach Wilson backpedaling onto the field and then tripping and falling. My college roommate, who's a huge jets fan, he texted me like the, the gif of that. And he was just like, this sums up my entire life as a jets fan. <laughs> So well, let, let's I want to take a quick sidebar and talk about the Jets and, and the decisions that were or were not made by the organization. So Robert Salah, or I think that's how you pronounce his last name. I apologize if it's not. He had a choice and they could have gone after a quarterback in the wake of Aaron Rodgers injury. And they didn't. And they, they stuck with Zach Wilson. And now here they are. Here they are. They're a rudderless ship. They have no other options. They're They're benching Zach Wilson now for. I don't even know who the backup is, but they're they're playing this guy, I think, on Friday. Yeah, they play on Black Friday against the Miami Dolphins. Do you think that this was really mismanaged by the Jets? Um, I, I, I mean, in, in hindsight, obviously you feel as though with as, as quality a defense as they have and the way that they were able to sort of pull themselves back into the race there for a couple of weeks, if they'd just gotten some competent quarterback play, to go with that good run game of theirs that, that they certainly could have hung around. Um, and so, yes, in hindsight, I do think it was mismanaged. Now, now maybe they put more stock in, in Zach Wilson than they should have. Maybe they felt like they, you know, he, he was 
good enough to be able to to win some close games for them. But you know, the problem with the Jets is I mean, we talk about like the Lions building a culture. The Jets' culture has been broken for so long. And I and I and I think Robert Sal is a great coach, and he comes from an organization in San Francisco that knows how to build a winning franchise. But it's going to take some time, man. I mean, and whether or not they'll give him that time will be an interesting question. Will, will they let him fail long enough to let him succeed? Um, I don't. I don't know. But I just feel as though right now that franchise can't get out of its own way, and and sometimes that almost becomes like a self fulfilling prophecy. You know, you just you feel doomed to, to fail in that regard. So obviously looking back on it, yeah, they, they probably should have made a different move. Sometimes it's summed up in a gif of someone tripping going on the field and that's all there is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right, let's go to the, let's go to the flip side. The teams that made the strong statement, obviously we just went over that. What about the teams that had, maybe it's the, the loser of the of the week. Maybe it's a player, maybe it's a team. Who do you think was the most disappointing in week 11? I mean, I'm going to, take a shot at something near and dear to our hearts here, but the, the Pittsburgh Steelers offense was absolutely atrocious on Sunday in Cleveland. Now, granted, they're playing the top ranked defense in the NFL. Understand. Uh, I understand that that that's a tough ask for them, but their inability to cobble together anything remotely resembling an NFL passing game doomed them. They ran for 172 yards, which is against Cleveland. That's tremendous. They, they called 31 pass plays, and those 31 pass plays netted 77 total yards. I don't, I don't, that's not even an NFL statistic. And, and it wasn't just the fact that they, that they weren't able to, to push the ball down the field at all. It was how utterly dysfunctional the passing game looked. There were several miscommunications where Kenny Pickett winds up throwing the ball to a field of empty grass because he and the receivers weren't on the same page. There were plays that were just dead plays at the snap that didn't make any sense, whether because of the play design or the, or the situation in which they called it, there were blown assignments on the offensive line on one play. They snapped the ball while right guard James Daniels was standing up, looking behind him at Pickett, and the defensive tackle lined up over Daniels, just charged right into the backfield and flattened Pickett. I mean, just, it didn't look like an NFL offense. They looked totally unprepared. And for a Steelers team that was six and three with an opportunity to go seven and three against a rookie backup quarterback, the offense falling so flat is hugely disappointing for Steelers fans. I I can't disagree with anything that you said, and I'm not going to pile on here and turn this into a Steelers show, but I will keep it in the AFC North and say that the biggest loser uh, for me, and it's, it's really an unfortunate, it's the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, the Cincinnati Bengals had won four in a row. They looked like they were turning the corner, even though they lost to the Houston Texans leading up to Thursday night football against the Baltimore Ravens. Joe Burrow throws a touchdown pass to Joe Mixon. And next thing you know, like the camera's catching grimacing in pain. And he goes to the sideline and they're leading the game. Like they are in the lead when he leaves the game. He tries to throw a football. And I saw shades of 2019 Ben Roethlisberger when he's, flexing his hand, wondering like what the hell's going on. Like there's not something isn't working properly. He's done for the year. And now Cincinnati is looking at what, what, what are we, what, what, what does, what do we do now? You know I mean? He was their offense. Yeah. They have some phenomenal skill position players, but Joe Burrow was their guy. And so with this injury, I think plummets the Cincinnati Bengals prayer of winning a division, which 
that would be a prophecy in and of itself because I've always said this. Since the AFC North became a thing in 20, 2002, no team has won it three years in a row. The Bengals have won it the previous two. Doesn't look like they're going to win it this year. And it looks like their playoff hopes are dashed as well, all because of one player going down. And that sucks, and that's why I'm choosing him as a loser. What did you think about the Burrow injury? Yeah, no, you know, you're right. In the big picture, that's definitely the biggest loss of the week. Uh, I agree. I, I, you know, anytime that you're that there's a non-contact injury like that, right away, you know that's bad. You've seen it with baseball pitchers lots mm-hmm. of times that where they seem to throw some innocuous pitch, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're holding their elbow or their shoulder, and you realize, oh my god, their season's over. So, granted, as a Steelers fan, I'm clearly not rooting for the Bengals at all, but I hate to see a marquee player in the league go down like that. The league gets less interesting when guys like Joe Burrow aren't playing. So it's bad for football uh, and it's unfortunate, but the Bengals are a young team man. they'll be back. Uh, They'll get a favorable schedule next year if they finish in last place. And with a healthy Joe Burrow, they'll be, uh, they'll be in good shape. So they got to suck it up for the rest of this year, but their future remains bright. Ah, but they're they're The salary cap purgatory is awaiting them with Joe Burrow's contract. So that'll catch up eventually. (laughs) It is. (laughs) All right, so let's go to the third topic today. The Denver Broncos-Minnesota Vikings game on Sunday Night Football, which saw the Denver Broncos come back and win 21-20. to It was maybe one of the best games of the season. All of a sudden, the Broncos have battled their way back to relevancy. And maybe it's not sustainable, and maybe they're not going to make a push to the playoffs. But both teams started 0-3, but now are in at least the playoff conversation. Which turnaround has impressed you more, Denver or Minnesota. First of all, I mean, I watched almost that whole game. That was a great football game. That was that was exciting. Uh, the crowd was into it. You had great coaches. the 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 battle b- between Brian Flores' defense in Minnesota and Sean Payton's offense in Denver was really intriguing to watch. It was a great cat and mouse game. Man, they were bringing the house after Russell Wilson. Uh, and Russell Wilson, to his credit, he really stood in there and made some beautiful plays. So for a guy who kind of seemed like he was on the verge of being washed up, Russell Wilson's had a heck of a rebound. And so, you know, for that reason, and really for the dysfunction uh, that Denver seemed headed towards after that ridiculous 70 to 20 loss to Miami, where they gave up 70 points and 700 yards for them to bounce back like that is a real tribute to the job that Sean Payton's doing Russell Wilson, putting his game back together. Denver seemed in the conversation among the worst teams in the league. And now they've got, you know, it still might be a long shot, but it's not an unrealistic path to the playoffs. So Minnesota has been a good story too, but I really think that Denver's overcome some long odds to make themselves relevant again. They have, and I I see everything that you're saying and I agree with all of it, but I will go with Minnesota because when you lose your starting quarterback and then you bring in a backup, and then you make a trade for this journeyman guy who comes in and still wins you games. To me, that turnaround is more impressive. And that's that's really the question was, whose turnaround has impressed you the most? Yeah, Sean Payton is a great coach. Russell Wilson is a proven winner in this league. He's won a Super Bowl, been to another one. Uh, I think the fact that the Minnesota Vikings are even being talked about after that slow start with Kirk Cousins, they lose Kirk Cousins, and now they're back in the conversation. To me, that's pretty damn impressive. And so I'm going to go with Minnesota's turnaround. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I love Joshua Dobbs and his time in Pittsburgh. We talked about him as a player profile. I think last week he's like a spark plug. 
The spark plugs typically they don't last forever and then they go away. The spark's not really there anymore. It happened with Arizona earlier this season. It's happened in other places before. We'll see if it's sustainable, but for the for the time being, I'll go with Minnesota because it it is remarkable. And you think about they lose Justin Jefferson as well. He's not back yet, or if as he, I don't know, was he back not in yet. the game? No, I he didn't, didn't play so. last night. No, I didn't think so. You're right about Dobbs. Dobbs is a great story, man. But unfortunately, there's a reason why he's on now. I think his sixth team, and and, you know, it it, he's basically best suited as a backup because usually, the more he plays, the more defenses catch up to what he does well. Um, So I'm not trying to rain on that parade. That again, that might be the story of the year so far in the NFL. What he's been able to do for two separate teams, but. it'll be tough for Minnesota to continue to play well, given his track record. Absolutely. Let, let's go to the next topic. We we touched on this briefly when I brought up the Buffalo Bills and their win over the Jets. I want to get your take on the fact that they they canned Ken Dorsey. They, that knee-jerk reaction, which a lot of people said, oh my gosh, this is more on McDermott than anyone else. This is just someone being a scapegoat. Regardless, he gets fired. Joe Brady's calling the plays. So after all this dysfunction, they kind of put it together. Like I said, 32 to six over the Jets. They're back in the playoff picture. Talked about their upcoming slate of games is really, really tough. Do you think they are a contender in the AFC or is this just a, a blip on the radar? Yeah, I mean, I'm slow in my role here on the on the on the Bills right now because you see it time and time again. A team fires a coach or a coordinator and it it puts everybody in that locker room on notice, right? Everybody gets that gets the message like better step it up or it's going to be me next. And they come out, they play really well for a week or two, but oftentimes you see that, you know, the regression because the reason that they fired the coach in the first place was generally because the team wasn't good enough. And so once that adrenaline rush of the the changeup goes away, they, they oftentimes backslide. I mean, we're seeing it with the Raiders, you know, the Raiders when they fired, uh, Josh McDaniels and, and brought in Antonio Pierce, man, they got, they won a couple games and they had a new energy about them. Will they be able to sustain that over the rest of the year? That'll be tough for them, especially with a rookie quarterback now. So for Buffalo, given the schedule that you cited earlier uh, and the fact that, you know, Joe Brady's got to fix Josh Allen. He's got to keep him from turning the ball over, which is Allen's number one problem and probably what led to Dorsey being fired more than anything else. Uh, against that daunting schedule, if Brady can get him right, then they got a shot. But if if he backslides at all, if he turns the ball over against those teams, then they're in trouble. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna push right now on that one, given the fact that I'm just not sold yet. Well, your boy Pez is not a buyer in the theory of teams playing tough after a coaching change. He just doesn't think it's feasible, and the professionals. He said they're 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 pros. This isn't college, you know. These guys are are there. They they have a job and they're making millions. I'm more of like what you described, where I think there can be some motivation internally when they make a move like they did when they fired Ken Dorsey. But man, when you look at that schedule, like I said earlier, that is a murderer's row of football games. And I don't think I don't think Buffalo is consistent enough to be able to get into that playoff picture. And when you look at some of the other teams, look at Pittsburgh's upcoming schedule look at cleveland's upcoming schedule hell you could even look at the charters upcoming schedule even though they're behind uh those teams in terms of buffalo and and pittsburgh and cleveland they have easier schedules than 
the Bills. The Bills have that first place schedule. It's going to be really, really tough. If they make it, I'll say this, if they make it, they're going to be very deserving of it because it's not going to be easy. That AFC East in and of itself is going to be tough, especially with Miami, but they've got it. They still have a lot of tough games coming up. I'm not, I'm with you. I'm not buying in the bills just yet. All right, let's finish with, Oh yeah. My favorite topic <laughs> officiating I threw it in there for you, man. <laughs> I love it. You've got to me. Hold on. Let me get my tinfoil hat on Thursday night's game between the Ravens and Bengals is a physical contest. that saw several players leave with injuries, including Ravens star tight end Mark Andrews, who John Harbaugh said could return this season. It's not as bad as they thought, but um, the season was definitely maybe he still could be done because of a hip drop tackle, which is everyone's talking about it. The NFL is discussing banning these types of tackles next season. What are your thoughts on all of this stuff that we just mentioned? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think the I think the last thing the NFL needs is to give itself another subjective area in which officials have to make split second decisions yeah. as to the legality of a of a thing. And we've got plenty of them: hits on defenseless receivers, and pass interference, and roughing the passer. And there's all these areas now where 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 the officials are being asked to do things that they're they're really not capable of doing. You have to determine intent. In this instance, now what are they going to what are they going to do? They're going to they're going to have to identify whether or not a tackler anchored his hips to the ground uh, and put the and put the the ball carrier in a dangerous position as a result, versus somebody being taught how to how to a, a textbook tackle, a rugby tackle, you know, where you where you go low on a guy and you corkscrew your body to the ground in order to generate enough force to bring him down. That's not necessarily a hip drop tackle, but it looks a little bit like it. I mean, one of the key, one of the key teaching points when we teach tackling it with our high school kids is anchor your hips to the ground. If you can't, if you can't get into sort of textbook tackling form where you're kind of squared up on a guy you know, how often do you see that in the NFL? Hardly ever. You hardly ever see a, right. see a guy in truly squared up being able to run his feet through contact. So most of the time, he's a little bit off center. And in order to create enough leverage to get a guy to the ground, you teach them to anchor their hips to the ground. Um, and and you, you, you can't hit a guy high. You can't hit a quarterback low. I don't I just don't know what they're what they expect. You're going to have injuries in the NFL. It is the nature of the beast. And unless you want to go to flag football, man, you're on the verge of making it impossible to play defense. So I, I'm, I'm really hoping that they don't take this measure. So I like to lean on the former players, <clears throat> excuse me, coaches like yourself. And I was on Twitter. This was on Thursday night and former Pittsburgh Steelers inside linebacker Vince Williams was on social media <laughs> and he was very vocal about how he cannot stand the people that want this hip drop tackle to be outlawed or banned from the game. And he even went back and looked at the play and he's kind of diagramming the play that Mark, Mark Andrews got hurt on. And he said, look at the inside linebacker position that he played for a long time in the NFL. He said, Mark Andrews has the inside leverage. He catches the ball. And now all of a sudden the inside linebacker is in trail position. What is he supposed to do if he can't tackle a player the way that he did? He's a, what's he supposed to do? Try to ride him. He's going to ride him into the end zone. He's going to score a touchdown. He said, you have to try and bring him down right there. And so what do you do is you use all your weight to try and get him to the ground. Is it unfortunate that he got hurt? Yes. He said, but people have to f remember something. Every single player that plays in the NFL 
signed up to play and knew the risks involved when they did so. And injuries, unfortunately, happen. Joe Burrow didn't even get hit, and he's done for the year because there's a ligament in his wrist popped. You know, I mean, you go back to the Roethlisberger injury in 2019. The the uh, UCL, I think, in his elbow just completely severed. It happens. It's an injury. It's part of the, the game and what they play and what they do, the position they play. I just don't know what they would expect in that one position. So let's go back to that play. I think it was Logan Wilson, maybe the inside linebacker, who everyone's calling a dirty player. He's in trail position. What is he supposed to do? Like, Coach, like if he can't do that type of tackle, what, what is he supposed to do to bring down Mark Andrews and he doesn't get in the end zone? Uh, I guess I guess dive at him, uh, try and wrap him up around the waist and hope Mark Andrews doesn't drag him into the end zone. You know, I mean, like, you know, another but he's still going to, but he's still going to come down on his lower legs. Though. That's the thing. Yeah. And yeah. so there's still a risk of injury. Every time you tackle someone, there's a risk of injury. You know, I'm know, not the his back, piggyback him into the end zone. You know, I don't, I don't <laughs> know. You know like, Mark Andrews is a big freaking guy. He would yes, do he that. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. If you asked, if you asked uh, all these players in the NFL, if that's a dirty tackle, including guys on offense, none of them are going to say yes. That's not a dirty tackle. They've been, they've been getting tackled like that their whole lives. It's, there's yeah. nothing dirty about it, but then you know it gets. I this is this is a. I feel like it's a pundit created thing. Somebody gets hurt. Somebody else suggests. Well, if the tackler didn't land with his weight on his legs, then he wouldn't have gotten hurt. And now all of a sudden, it becomes this huge talking point, uh, and the and the echo chamber out there on social media and everything else picks up on it. But again, man, what is the intent? What is the intent? Is the intent to injure? Of course not. So, uh, so given the nature of the, of the game. And like you said, the fact that all these guys signed up for it, they know what they're getting themselves into. Then it's not, it's not dirty. And in the league, if they go through with this, they are going to create a massive problem for themselves because they will have no idea how to officiate the game. The, the one call that drives me insane these days is hit on a defenseless receiver, which is usually called on a situation where a receiver jumps up for the ball and the defender attempts to dislodge it from him. So, and they call that a foul because they're saying like the receiver hasn't landed yet. And so therefore he's defenseless. But once he's landed, it's a catch. So like, if you're, I mean, if you were like a defender and you see the guy jump up for the ball, do you have to say to yourself, uh, I guess, I, I guess there's nothing I can do. He's jumping, yeah. you know, I got to wait yeah. for him to come down. And it's, it's, it's insane, man. You know, if you're leading with your helmet, right. I get it. Yeah. I get it. If you're launching yourself, I get it. But otherwise it's football. And they're split second decisions. You know, this isn't the matrix. We're going to slow things down, turn the camera around. Okay, well, how am I going to hit him now? I think players, I've been so, so impressed with some players in the league, across the league, that have altered the way that they play the game to avoid hefty fines and, pen, and being penalized. And there have been some big hits that thankfully the officials have not flagged because they've been completely clean. They have not been defenseless. They hit him in the midsection with their shoulder, not targeting anything, dislodging the ball. It's amazing that they're able to do those things. But we've said this before, and I'll say it again, and this is a this is a hill I am willing to die on. The biggest issue in the NFL is officiating. And, and at every single level of the game, go back to Pittsburgh-Cleveland. We both watched that game. I know you know, what I, you know exactly when I bring this play up what I'm talking about. The very first touchdown scored by Jerome Ford, I think it's his name. His last name is Ford. Doesn't matter. They ruled him down. Third and goal. He did not make. He did not cross the plane. Kevin Stefanski challenges the call. 
I have yet to see any replay that definitively shows the football crossing the goal line. And that's what has to happen. It has to be definitive because that would mean that they are changing the call on the field. Still have yet to see that. And yet they come out and say it's a touchdown. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, I'm not saying that they wouldn't have scored on fourth down. They probably would have gone for it. Maybe they do score. I'm not someone I'm arguing here. It's the fact that some of the, the decisions that are made, the NFL does very, very little to help themselves. So they go to um, Gene, Gene Steratore from Washington PA. So, you know, he's a classic, you know, he's, he's just a cool guy. And he's given the task, you've talked about this with other rules analysts, of trying to explain how they came to the conclusion that he did cross the plane. And he's saying, well, if you take this angle and combine it with another, combine it with another, what are we doing? And at what point are we going to say there's a little chip in the football and if it crosses the line, it's going to make break some, I don't know, like the the uh, radar guns in your garage doors that cause them to go back up <laughs> and it's going to trigger it and it's going to say across the line. I mean, Kevin, like uh, there's a part of me that thinks that some of the old school nature of the game needs to be replaced with some of the modern aspects that they could have that would make it simple and a lot easier for the officials. Are, do you see what I'm saying in my gripe with all this? I, I am coming around to your your point of view <laughs> on the subject. The more that we get, the deeper we go. And you throw in gambling and it gets worse. <laughs> They're making it up as they go along. That's that's yeah. my issue. That's my problem with it. I, I, I just feel as though that's the worst type of leadership, the, the type of leadership where the uh, – the, the the uh, goal and the way and the rules and all that they change as you go and I mean it just it, it dilutes the game. Yeah, I mean it, I can't tell you the last time I watched any NFL game where I didn't leave at one point and say what the hell was that? How is that a penalty? It, the the delay of game call on Pittsburgh at the end of the game where they yeah. said that Keanu Benton somehow as a defender. He mimicked the snap. What's he doing? Pushing the football? He didn't do that. We watched the replay. Like These are the things that make me, and again, I'm not saying that he would have missed a kick if it was a delay game on offense and they move it back five yards. I'm not saying that. That kick probably still would have been good. Pittsburgh still would have lost. It's the fact that these penalties are being called. And you're watching this and you're thinking, what? what is this? The biggest issue surrounding the NFL is it's not, growing the game game globally it's not having kids talk about it with the toy story game or slime time it's the fact that the officiating is being made up as they go as you put it all right i'm gonna die on that hill but let's move on because that could be a whole show in and of itself (laughs) you want to talk about tommy devito yeah let's go tommy devito of the new york giants who has sacked like two thousand times in the game and yet still won so coach go ahead yeah, man, Tommy DeVito, we brought his name up a couple of weeks on this show, and neither you nor I could name what team he was on. <laughs> and on correct. Sunday, I'll read his stat line. He went 18 out of 26 for 246 yards with three touchdowns and no interceptions to lead Washington or uh, the Giants to a 31-19 win over Washington. And, and he did it in front of his family, uh, who is like straight out of the cast of The Sopranos. I mean, these are these are a, a bunch of North Jersey Italians who look like they know where the bar- the bodies are buried. Uh, <laughs> I mean, being from New Jersey myself, I'm from South Jersey, and I can tell you, South Jersey and North Jersey, two different countries, not two different states, two different countries. But uh, you know, the 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 whole idea of of uh, the Devitos 
you know, at the Meadowlands to watch, uh, their, you know, Tommy win <laughs> one over the commanders was, was very, I don't know, satisfying as a, as a resident of New Jersey, but also just a good story in the NFL. I don't expect it to be a weekly thing. The Giants are still bad. They're now three and eight. They're going to play the Patriots next weekend in one of, uh, you know, a, a matchup of two teams that have combined to win 10 Super Bowls and you're going to get two and eight against three and eight. And I, I mean, that's, that's hard to believe, but Hey, for one week, man, Tommy DeVito had his, his moment in the sun. And I mean, it was great to see, man. I love stories like that. Tommy DeVito. I'm looking at a picture. He looks like he belongs in like the Bronx tale or something yeah. like that. <laughs> totally, man. He played his college football at Syracuse and Illinois. So yeah, this is interesting. Where did the hell did this guy come from? Tommy DeVito. I mean, how watered down is the quarterback position that we had a situation a couple weeks ago where we said, what's up with these quarterbacks, Tommy DeVito, and you and I both said, and you keep bigger to better tabs on the NFL than I do. And yet we both said, who the hell is that? Like we had no idea. Yeah. And yet here he is as a player profile on the NFL whip round. Well, so I mean, we- the, the, the thing is like, you know, we, we mentioned this uh, a couple weeks ago. So in the last three, four years, we've seen these giants at the quarterback position retire. Rivers and Brady and Roethlisberger and the Mannings and you know Matt Ryan and all those guys, man, they 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 were mainstays in this league for well over a decade, and they you know set uh, the level of quarterback play in the history of the league may never have been as great as it was when those guys were at the peak of their careers in the mid twenty teens or so. Um, but with that, with all those guys moving on and this and this young batch of quarterbacks coming in, some of whom the Burroughs and the Justin Herberts and those guys look to be very good. Many, though, who aren't there yet, and they're all being thrown in to starting lineups right away. They're all being they're all playing almost immediately. And many of them just aren't ready for it. And then they're this year, and, and I'd have to see some statistics to know if this is an accurate statement or not, but it feels like this year there are more significant injuries at the quarterback position than there are in a normal year. And so that's forcing more and more Tommy DeVito's into the lineup. And so between the young quarterbacks who aren't quite ready and the backups who are playing because the the established starters are hurt, I do think you're really seeing a drop at the position this year. Well, I mean, you look at the New York Giants. I mean, Tyrod Taylor, he was the backup and he got hurt. So now they're down to third string, enter Tommy DeVito. Look at Joshua Dobbs in Minnesota. We already mentioned him. He's a third string guy, technically, because they're second string, they're backup. He got a concussion, and that's what got Josh Dobbs thrown into the mix after like five days of being in Minnesota. So yeah, same with the Browns with uh with Dorian Thompson Robinson. Yeah. So all right, coach. It's been a good show. Why don't you wrap it up? What are your final thoughts here on week eleven? It's, again, this is this is one of the most unpredictable. NFL seasons I can remember in a long time. I, I grew out well, I, I think that we still feel as though Kansas City and Philly and San Francisco, who's kind of put it back together now that they've gotten healthy. I think we still feel as though those are the the the, the elite teams in the league. There's just this wide open playoff field, I feel like as we as we get, you know, start to head down the home stretch. Uh, there's lots of teams that can qualify. Who knows who's going to win it all? Uh, it makes it fascinating to me. I, I really like it when when there's this kind of uncertainty. 
Yeah, they, like I said, the, the AFC is upside down right now. I feel like there's a lot of teams that could sneak in, a lot of teams that could drop off. We'll see. But, Coach, tell everyone what's coming up on the call sheet this week. Yeah, so we're doing a Thanksgiving show on the call sheet this week. We're, we're doing, uh, we're doing uh, one thing that all 32 NFL teams should be thankful for. So we're going mm. to pick every, each team in the league and, and talk about one thing that their fans can be grateful for. This is episode number 32. So our player profile is going to be it on better a be famous, Franco Harris, a famous number thirty-two. It will not <laughs> uh, it will not be Franco, and what? I've already done Jim Brown. So that leaves one other notable thirty-two. It's who's a Franco? much broader conversation? Uh, we'll we'll have that talk, that scandalous <laughs> talk, as well. Oh, you're going there? Okay. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's loose, if you know what I mean. Um, uh, yes, sir. All right, last thing, Coach. What's your go-to pie on Thanksgiving? Uh, well, I got to say that my mother-in-law makes uh, th- this uh, blueberry pie, which is banging. I mean, it's and I'm not a huge oh. blueberry pie guy, but it's just uh, it's the real deal, man. So I will. Although my mom makes this chocolate cream pie, that's a very that's a, that rivals it. So I don't know. I might have to I might have to double down and get them both. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hey, that's fine. Uh, I'm a pumpkin guy. I've never even had like someone's like, hey, if you have a sweet potato pie, I've never even had it. Like I've never even tried it. It's never been anywhere where I've been. No one's ever made it. My mom makes this rhubarb custard pie, which is like a family recipe that's been handed down for a long time. It's not, it's just always made and it's always the best. So I grew rhubarb in my backyard in our garden just so my mom can get fresh rhubarb for this pie. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. All right, coach. Hey, have a happy Thanksgiving and we'll talk next week. Take it easy. Thank you. You too.